Okay, we are live streaming on YouTube and on Facebook. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 163 of the John Riley Project. And today, my guest, he's back for another round here. Um, Rancho Bernardo author, community organizer, just all around good guy, Steve Dow. How are you doing, Steve? Great, John. Great to be here. Thank you. So, um, gosh, we got together, must have been about a year ago, and you talked to us about your book, um, Mm -hmm. The 15 Reasons People Voted for Trump in 2016 and Why These Don't Apply in 2020. And and we had a great conversation last time. I enjoyed it. I thought we caught, you know, covered a lot of good ground and it's all important stuff, especially now. So I'm Mm -hmm. happy to be back on. Talk, Talk a little bit about that, at least. It's important stuff, important time. So what I'm hoping we can do is, you know, today there's a lot of stuff. We can have some fun today. You know, we can just kind of bounce around. There's a lot of stuff to talk about, current events, the presidential race. Um, There's local issues. I'm really interested to learn some of the things you're doing um, in Rancho Bernardo uh, because I love, you know, offering that local content for, you know, our viewers and our listeners. Of course, we're live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. And so we'll welcome any um, questions that come from the audience. We'd be happy to, you know, get the audience involved in the discussion so they can ask questions of Steve or myself, or they just want to chime in and and make it a three or a four way discussion. So um, those are going to be welcome. Um, but yeah, how, how you been? I mean, you know, with this whole COVID thing, I know you and your wife, Gabby, boy, you're on social media, sharing family updates all the time. It looks like you're, everyone's doing well in the Dow household. <laughs> We're doing okay. G- G- Gabby does a lot of that posting. I think I get tagged on a lot of those posts, but I'm not usually the one authoring them, but, uh, you know, we're, we're doing fine. Like I said, before we started, I mean, yeah, we're both really fortunate. We both have jobs where we can work from the house and, uh, you know, we're, we're in good shape in that regard. So certainly no complaints on our end. We know a lot of people are hit much hurt harder than we are. So happy did, to uh, enjoy the time together. Did, I just saw on the news today that, um, that Yelp reported that 60% of the businesses that temporarily shut down because of COVID have permanently shut down. So I saw that headline. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't read the article at all, but I mean, I, what's your sense on this? Like, when do you think we're going to come out of this COVID crisis? And when we do come out, what's the world going to be like? Million dollar question. I mean, the truth, I mean, we're in a pandemic. I mean, like a legit real pandemic, like, Mm -hmm. you know, was it the Spanish or 1918 flu or whatever it was? Um, Millions of people died, right, worldwide. So, I mean, this isn't necessarily exactly the same thing, but this is something that we haven't seen in our generation or, you know, our kids' generations. So this is a very unique situation. And, of course, it's going to have an impact on the economy, of course. Um, And, of course, the economy is incredibly important. Uh, I mean, right? So we need need to find a way to balance, balance these things, juggle these things in a way where, we get people what they need and give them the opportunities to keep going with businesses and or help if they can't, uh, while at the same time putting, you know, a foot to the throat of, of the disease or the virus, which is what we really need to be focusing on, too, because I am a believer that we're not really going to be strong you know, in a way that we can be with our economy until we have that pretty close to the rearview mirror. Um, 
so I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about masks or things like that, but, but the, the seriousness of, of the virus and us yeah. taking it seriously and listening to science, I think is essential for us to get past the virus and improve our economy. It's, it's the same, it's the same story for the same ideas, I think. Well, yeah, and you and I were in full agreement on that. It's got to be driven by science. But I think last night President Trump did a town hall meeting, and he's saying that the vaccine is just a few weeks away. Um, do you believe Wonderful. That? No. no. I don't believe I, I for, Honestly, I mean, I, I would yeah. be a fool to believe almost anything he says, right? I mean, right. and and that's, that's not even against him personally or anything. It's just he's lied so many times. I mean, you yes, would be. Yes, so many. <laughs> like, it, just any objective person. Yeah, you know, you would be foolish to assume that he's telling you the truth. Um, how many times have you know things been two weeks away or three weeks? This is going to happen two weeks. I hope so. Of course, of course, I hope yeah, so. Right. Um, but it doesn't. You know, when you listen to the experts, it doesn't quite seem like that's really feasible yet to do safely. By all accounts, um, things are going faster. I have a, fr- a good friend from college who's. Um, working on this and, and they're, everybody is pushing this as hard as they can, but you know, for something to be proved, proven safe or found to be safe, you know, you need the tests and well, I almost said, luckily, unfortunately there are plenty of people that have this that can be tested. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I certainly like everybody. I certainly hope that we can round the curve. I think, as he said, as soon as possible. It's just I don't trust. I don't trust a word he says bluntly. So well, it's funny how you know we're in election season, right? So you know, you wonder is he going to come out with? Well, is Trump? It, is, is are the people going to come out with a vaccine before election day? on Trump's, you know, demand. And if it is, is it going to be any good? Is it more politically driven than scientific driven? I mean, those are some interesting angles. You know, it's I, what I can see. I, they're, you're right. There are all these little nooks and crannies of nuances here. I could see a scenario where Trump comes out with the Trump vaccine. He'll put, you know, Trump gold plated yes. thing on the, on a little pill bottle, whatever it is. Or then, and, he'll, and he'll be like, this is the Trump vaccine. And then people who are, you know, reasonably concerned by that will say, well, hey, wait a second. And then he'll turn the tables and be like, what, are you anti-vax? I could see him doing something like that. Exactly. Where a lot of the lefties were this. And and so this is where it's just like a a bubbling stew of all these different um, groups of people who have all these different passions, distrusts. You know, all these things happening. And he's just right in the middle of it, playing whatever, whichever one he can, in my view. I hope, I mean, I'm not one of these people to say that Trump has not done a thing good or anything. I think there are a handful of things that he's done that I would say I agree with, but it's few and far between. But but doing stuff like this, you know, having lost such credibility to an objective person like me, making promises like this that are against what scientists are telling you is so wrong. So wrong. Yeah. 
we're going to have a vaccine. It's going to be the greatest vaccine. You're all going to love it. You know? Right, right. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous. Yeah, tremendous. So, nothing like it. There's nothing been anything like this ever, you're, you know. But, so, but you, you are right that if, if, a, if a vaccine came out and people questioned it because of political reasons, he would call them anti-vaxxers. He would yeah. flip it. Abs 100%. You know that's coming. And then, so. and then his, his propaganda outlets would be like, oh, what's happening now? I mean, and because they, there is this love. What's the, there's a word, Evan, you can get it. Well, my son's getting something from the prayer. <laughs> um, there's a word in German. I forgot. Was it Schrusenfreiter or something? There's a, there's a word that apparently has no other translation in any other language. I saw a bit from uh, Trevor Noah about this, a comedian. And, but it, it, the word means taking pleasure in the misery of others, right? Oh, yeah. And, and I said, but the bit's funny because he's like, all the other languages are like, no, you can keep that word. You know, we don't need that weird word. But I do think there's that where like a lot of people just, you know, ha, let's turn the tables on them. Yes. Where it's like, we need people just like calm down, everybody. We This is like, we're all live once. We're all here once. Let's figure this out without this stupid little challenges stuff. And let's just, you know, deal with a real problem that we have right in front of us that literally is killing hundreds of thousands of us. You know, I don't know. It's, it's disheartening to say the least to see these serious problems turn around to like little political games, you know? Well, here, a really interesting example that always strikes me is when, you know, president Trump has this new press secretary and what she's, I can't remember her name, but she's been. McEnany, McEnany, I think. Yeah. I think that's her name. And, you know, the, the Republicans and the Trump people love her because when she does her press briefings, she just goes out there and kicks ass and they just get off on all of it rather than the actual content of it. They just love the battle. They love yeah. the they love the sparring. They love the fight, um, not necessarily the the policy and the and the nuances of the of of what's going on. I echo that. Uh, I ditto to that. I would say, right? As Rush Limbaugh people folks say, yeah, the um, the battle mentality is uh, alive and well, and and uh, it really is like just like I, I, this is the same thing with uh, Kellyanne Conway, right? Clearly, you know, a smart woman, man. She's on it. She's sharp as a tack when it comes to these things, yeah. but. She's saying things that are lots of times just flat out not true, but the way she says them and the way she owns the libs when she says them yes. is enough for some people, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, I don't know when we're going to get past that, but hopefully soon, you know, well, you know, we you know they're not lies. They're alternative facts. Of course. <laughs> well, which is therein lies a huge danger, a huge yeah. danger because any, any, group of people that are going to come together, the first thing you have to do is come to an understanding of what basic facts are, right? And their interpretations of facts are one thing, but digging into the details of what those facts are is uh, step one. And if yeah. people are refusing to do that or uh, unwilling to recognize that what they're saying maybe isn't really true, and that that can go for anybody, right? Um, yeah, you, you're, you're not even at step one yet, you know? 
Well, you can't have a rational conversation without an agreement on facts, agreement on definitions, agreement on data. Um, so it's it's like you're these people are having political conversations on quicksand because everything's moving around. Um, it's hard to. You know, like you, you, you're an objective person. I like to think I am. It's hard to be objective when the rules of the game are, are fluid. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and it's all, and the emotion gets involved, right? And and um, you know, being objective kind of flies out the window. You know, when, when emotions get involved for some people. And I'm an engineer. I'm a trained engineer. So I have this objective background and I care about foundations, right? I mean, you can talk all you want about the great vision you have for some building, but if the foundation isn't sound, it doesn't do you any good. Um, but there's so many people that are so wrapped up in that emotion of what their vision is for this building, you know, that they just take the foundation for granted. You know, they're not even thinking about the foundation or they, right. or, or they just, you know, they just really dislike these other people and they can't snap out or back out of that. Mm-hmm. Just put, stick your head around and like look around and say, hey, where are we really? Like, is this really what we want to do? Do we really want someone now? That was it. the guy. Um, one of, is it HHS or one of the guys who's saying, I think he just today announced that he's stepping down. Uh, due to like a mental breakdown or something, but he had said something along the lines of it's time to go get your ammunition. And, and you know, where all the um, like leftists live or something like, do you know what I'm talking about? I forgot the guy's name. He just the story. Yeah. Yeah. This was like recent. I think he stepped down like today or, or, or he's taking a leave or something along those lines. But um, I don't know. I mean, it, there's a talk with people, it's almost like, like I don't know, I'm, I'm jumping all over here. I'll let you rein me in. But <laughs> almost like this QAnon-type mindset. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that those thoughts are so supported by so many people. Not to say that there are not to say that there is that there are a lot of people that support it, but there are enough of people that support it that it is actually a thing, right? That's so disturbing to me, and it's I don't want to demean anybody or anything, so I, I want to be careful how I how I say it. But to me, it's it's like the confluence of like mental instability with like this group tribal think that's just absurd, you know, like. Mm-hmm. And and let me say this one thing, then you bring me back wherever you want me to bring me. But like okay. the, the the whole idea about like people that actually believe there's a single person out there, Q, who is calling all these shots in the deep state and and letting everybody know what's going on. That all the Democrats in the world secretly eat children and all this crazy stuff and yeah. pedophilia. <laughs> I mean, I think any random objective person would just, if someone came up to you on the street, you'd be looking around for like mental health facilities, right? So for that person. So I, I don't know how people can do that, <laughs> how, how people can jump into that so well, but, um, or so head first and not snap out of it. Um, but it, this is what happens when you get emotions, right? And then, and then the only other last point, then you have someone like Harvey Weinstein, who is a Hollywood elite, who yes. is involved theoretically, apparently with rape, certainly, and or pedophilia. Right. So you get this little bit of truth um, that to them then justifies this crazy 
batshit crazy stuff. <laughs> so um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird time, and it, and those things concern me. They really do because you know I'm all about trying to find common ground with people, everybody, even people who have what I think are pretty bizarre ideas, and uh, I'll keep working at it with some of these people. But it's hard. It's hard when people aren't clearly aren't listening or you know, certainly or if, or if they've written you off as part of this terrible cabal, the globalist cabal trying to, again, eat children. I don't know. <laughs> it, some of the stuff's just so disturbing. It, really it is. is. And you, you'll hear sometimes comments from it's either Trump or one of the people on his staff or even some of the crazy people. And then suddenly you, you see all the people on social media repeating it. It's almost like they're parrots. And I, yeah. I guess some of that happens on the left too, but it's been so politicized, so emotional. We get away from reason. We get away from objectivity. Um, yeah, it's a crazy time. Um, let's let's if you could let's let's take a look at your book. Ah. Okay, um, the fifteen reasons people voted for Trump in twenty sixteen and why these don't apply in twenty twenty. And I can see in the background right there hey, your book. Bell, there it, it is. <laughs> like any good author, it's rotated right. horizontally rather than vertically. Right. But, um, I always have it like that. Always. You know, always. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So um, the. We had a great conversation when we got together last time and we went through your book. But I, I before we got started, um, I took a moment and I just skimmed through your table of contents in your mm-hmm. book. And when did you write this? Like it was in 2018? No, it was the month, actually two weeks in June in 2019. 19. So this, this was, I, I, I had written several articles and, um, this was going to be just kind of another article and it took a little bit bigger life, like a life of its own. And it became a little book, but um, it was about a two week writing period where I just kind of mind dumped these things. And, you know, in the introduction, I remember writing like, mm, I feel like stuff's going to, you know, go down here. That's going to be bad. And, and certainly stuff has since that time, but it got published, I think July 1st, 2019. And I wanted to get it out there so that hopefully there's time where people could absorb some of these ideas. Clearly there are plenty of books about Trump out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good snapshot because it's before Ukraine became out, came out. It was before COVID it's before, um, some of the, you know, George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So some of these big issues that we're dealing with now, uh, or have dealt with since July of last year, you know, it snapshotted before that. So I kind of feel like anybody who thinks, oh, well, Trump's just getting blamed for COVID or Trump's getting blamed for something and it's not true. I'm like, please just go back to that book and just look at those. Because I was trying to be pretty, I was pretty factual. I laid out certain things and happy to have discussions with about any of those. But um, there's been a pattern here. And this last year, as hor- horrific as it's been and has, is still, it's not surprising. Not not to you know, me. It's it's you know your book is interesting because to look at it in in a in today versus when you wrote it over a year ago but I was looking at number 11 on your list a clinton pre- presidency would be mired in controversy <laughs> you know yeah. You know, as if, you know, the Trump presidency wouldn't be controversial. And it just seems like it keeps getting more controversial every day, every month. And people will say, 
people will say, well, look, that's because the, the media just can't stand this guy. They hate him. They always go down. People always come back to, well, I just hate Trump. I don't hate anybody. For the record, I don't hate, I, I, I have real concern for Trump. But I hate some of the things he's doing, but I don't hate anybody. But, um, you know, this whole idea that, you know, this controversy surrounding Trump is something that he does not bring upon himself is just wrong. I mean, if, if you don't want to be continually investigated, stop doing shady shit. I'm sorry. Stop doing yeah. shady stuff. Like stop like having people pay off porn stars. Stop <laughs> saying you wrote a perfect letter, gaslighting this letter where you clearly are doing a quid pro quo and people will even acknowledge it. No, you didn't say let's do a quid pro quo. But it's clear what's happened. And and the professionals that, you know, that were part of this, see what happened. You know, he brings it on himself. I don't feel bad for him at all. You know, this and and for somebody who endlessly wants to be this tough guy and he calls everybody else a snowflake. My goodness, this guy is the biggest snowflake in history in my book. (laughs) Everything. Oh, presidential harassment. You know, grow a spine. Do what you need to be doing when you should have been doing, oh, in the case of COVID, from the beginning. Stop blaming everybody else. I don't know. I'm getting angry. I got to stop. Stop blaming everybody else for everything. I mean, he, the man literally say, said, I take no responsibility. Yeah. Like So when, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, could you imagine if FDR was like, the Hawaiian militia, where, where were you? <laughs> like, seriously, like, it is... Uh, unbelievable to me that this man keeps getting passes, you know, and uh, I, I, I'm really hard. I feel good about groups like the Lincoln project, you know, people who are more conservative or right leaning who recognize that this is not anymore an issue of left versus right, or at least in my view, not, not so much a left versus right issue. Of course you have that level of it. Right. But it's a, Hey, do you want this country or not? And and in that me saying that is the same thing Tucker Carlson will ever say will say as well. It will be tweaked differently. But do you want a, a country? Because when he took an oath, he took an oath to protect the Constitution. The Constitution, the very framework of the Constitution, yeah. has checks and balances that he has since completely ignored. And it's dangerous. And um, yeah, so to me, I, I really applaud groups like that because they recognize that it's not—it's not a left or right issue to, as much to me anymore. Because I'm right on some issues, left on other things. Um, but this is a—do we want? Do we want this kind of of Republican uh, Republic democracy or not? You, you yeah, know, Democratic Republic. It's interesting you bring up the Constitution because you're right. You know, they swear an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, you know, but not counting the fact that he's already lobbying for a third term, which, again, I think might be more just poking the bear. But take the recent topic of the Social Security where, you know, he um, wanted to enact or he did enact a deferment on the payroll tax. And he said he wanted to eliminate the tax entirely. Um and it's this very interesting angles to this, because on one hand, um, the president doesn't have the constitutional authority to unilaterally make tax policy. Right. right. That's the, 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 the venue of Congress. Um, but yet he's been able to do some of it. Um, and the Congress just looks the other way. You know, they just let it happen. Um, and so th- this notion of checks and balances and, and three co-equal branches of government, which is in the Constitution, is like thrown out the window. But 
the other side of it is so that it makes this story interesting is that for years and years and years, especially during the election season, the liberals and progressives and Democrats keep insisting that the Republicans want to get rid of Social Security. And I always think that's nonsense because so many old people vote for Republicans. I mean, if the Republicans ended Social Security, the Republican Party would die. Um, and uh, people are saying, well, Trump is going to eliminate the payroll tax and defund Social Security. And I'm saying, well, the only way that can happen is if Congress votes on it. And there's no way Pelosi and the House is going to do that. But then maybe, maybe uh, Trump would enact it unilaterally and Congress would just not care. Um, so, Trump's violating the Constitution, but his own party is not holding him to account to defend the Constitution. And yet it's the Republicans are the ones that always are trying to be about the Constitution. So what the hell happened? I don't know. And and that to me is like the nearly unforgivable sin of, of a lot of these Republicans in Congress, you know. I'm not the first to say this, but people will say that or the experts will say or the constitutional scholars will say that, you know, when when Madison and whoever put those those documents together in the Constitution, the idea was that. Um, Absolutely. Hold, Let me put it in on hey, I'm live. <laughs> Sorry. We're live streaming. <laughs> My wife is, is got a loud voice. That's okay. Um, it's fun. It makes us entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm reminded of that one video of uh, a guy talking and his little kid crawls in in the background. Did you ever yeah. see that? And then the yeah, wife or nanny had to. Um, constitution, the constitution. Yeah. So the constitution, the idea was that we'd have these checks and balances, right? And they, they tried to figure out like, how are we going to really hold, like imagine a Trump, like they, they're trying to imagine something like a Trump. How are we going to hold these people in check? But you're right. What the people, the experts will say was that, well, no one expected that the whole party supporting of, of that president would, would allow, would give him cover you know, would allow him to do this. Like, I think they just, I don't know that people can imagine someone exactly like Trump, someone who will just keep pushing, you know, keep pushing because why not? Because you're not stopping me. You know, right. it's not, it's not because it's right or wrong anymore. It's because I can. Yeah. Am I legally allowed to? Probably not, but so what? I'm going to do it. And what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. So that is a personality that is not someone I'm voting for. Um, and I think it's dangerous. And this is what I say. Like, I, I really, really hope people who might still be on the fence, which I find it hard to believe there are, but I guess there are still people. Um, I hope they recognize just how I hope they're honest with themselves, just how damaging Trump is. And that's obviously my perspective, but not just my perspective. And, and whenever people might say about Biden bringing in some, you know, Biden's really Joseph Stalin or whatever is going to be <laughs> like, even if even if things are going to move more left, let it move more left. At least we'll still have our system and then fight those have fights in Congress or fight. You know, it's not, it's still, you know, you'll have someone who will respect the institutions. And then, yeah, then you got it. Then he'll actually Biden would actually care about maybe what Congress, you know, the Congress's. uh control of the purse strings, right? As opposed to somebody who doesn't really care, you know, or, or you know, and and then those fights can be in Congress, which is what this is all about. That's when you're supposed to have those, those discussions, you know, those fights. 
there are still people that are undecided, believe it or not. But I think the reason they're undecided is because Biden is is no star. Biden has so many weaknesses. Um, and if you focus on those weaknesses, you know, it, it could be like a it's clearly a lesser of evils. At least that's how I see it. Um, now, granted, um, I understand your point about Biden coming in and if he wins, kind of resetting the system the right way, um, even if the policies are a little bit to the left. But um, there's got to be a lot of Democrats that must be just sort of um, holding their nose and voting for Biden this this cycle. That's my gut feel. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I'm a no party preference person. I always have been, so I don't really know. But I, I certainly am friends with plenty of both sides and, and Democrats. And and I've heard some of that. I mean, some some of my liberal friends are don't like Biden because he's not liberal enough. Um, others just assume he's going to cave to everything the far left will say, although he clearly is, there are examples of him definitely not doing that already. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know enough really to, to pretend like I'm an expert on Biden, but first and foremost, it should go without saying in my book, I I, I think I would pick almost a random person on the street over Trump. Actually I would. Um, but aside from that, I feel like Biden gets a little bit, I think he gets more than he deserves. Like I, I don't think he's this bumbling idiot. I think he's a smart man. I think he's older. I think he he said he gaffs. He makes his gaffes. Some of them are funny. But the thing is, he recognize he'll recognize it and he'll joke about it. And it's like Trump will make a gaff and he'll refuse to admit he made any problem. Confefe, oh that's a that's an inside job. That's an inside joke. No, it's not. You're probably drunk and you're tweeting in the middle of the night. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Biden has a stutter and, and all this stuff. I, I just I think some of the stuff that people give Biden is unfair, but I don't know. I mean, uh, waiting for a perfect person. I don't think that person exists. You know, you 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 this is this is a man people voted for on in this in the two party system, essentially, that we have. This is the man people voted for. They had enough confidence in him to put him there. And uh you know, honestly, he wasn't my first choice, but I, I'm, I think he'd actually be good. I think he'd be good. And I actually like Kamala Harris. I think, I mean, again, people think she's probably way too left, but, I, you know, these are, in my view, two adults who will, who can't control everything by themselves anyway, although Trump tries to. And, and I guess if they took the exact same tactics Trump did, maybe they could do some more, but, uh, I think they respect the institutions more than Trump does. Uh, And like I say, I I think a lot of things they're fighting for are actually good. I mean, they're good goals. It's just a matter of how do we get there. And that's why you have all these other people in government, hopefully, who are in there for the right reasons and saying, hey, well, if you give give people all this money, we need to get it from somewhere else. How are we going to do this? Those are like educated adult discussions that people have and other nations have. I think I told you we were. I think the last time we talked, we I had just gotten back from Norway, and mm-hmm. Gabby had some family over there, and um, and they they have like a healthcare system that's a, a public healthcare system, but they also have a a private healthcare system that they work in tandem, um, and they have I believe they if I remember correctly, the public healthcare system had some nuances to it where. Some of it was actually farmed out to private companies, but it was controlled by the public, right? So it was kind of like this public partner, private partnership 
on a federal level. I mean, there are just so many options, right? So like people just saying, oh, you're, you don't care about anybody or you want socialism. And my view of socialism is Venezuela and I'm not going to listen to any other views. Like, like I said, that's all this stuff. Like, I don't think most people, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not wearing my mask. I guess it doesn't matter now. I'll spit on you. But um, I don't think most people are at those extremes, but I don't know. Maybe some people are. I really hope that a lot of this stuff is just adults recognizing, hey, let's get through this dumb stuff. Let's focus on what we say we want. Let's listen to science, certainly. And let's figure it out. Let's compromise where we have to. But let's let's do the real work. You know, I don't know. You know, here's one of my angles. And like, I'm I, I don't like either Trump or Biden, and I'm not going to vote for either one of them um, because um, I don't support either. And I know I want to get rid of Trump and I'm in California, which is going to be a landslide for Biden. So really, my vote's not going to matter very much. So I'm going to vote for my own values and I'm not going to vote for either of those guys. One of the things that's interesting to me with Biden is we're going through the whole like uh, Black Lives Matter, criminal injustice, and um, you know reform of police and all of that. You know, rightfully so. And well, these are these are issues long, long overdue to be addressed. Um, but meanwhile, um, Biden was the author of the 1980 crime bill that like created the mass incarceration that threw a lot of these people of color in prison. Biden wants to keep marijuana illegal um, unless he rechanged. And then meanwhile, Paula Harris was like the the district attorney, attorney general throwing people in prison, laughing about busting people for marijuana while admitting that she smoked it herself. Um Pressing uh, evidence that have gotten people off of, of death row. I mean, so it's while we're going through a lot of this criminal justice reform, I wonder if Biden and Kamala were the ones that partly screwed it up in the first place. I mean, I, we're talking about systems that are the result of complicated history right that that comes from i mean we're talking i mean especially with race relations i mean we're, we're talking from before our country's founding how deep these things go um so to, to to you know for people who try to blame just one or two people i don't think that's the way to go you know if anything uh i think that just let me say this quickly i think that kind of disproves this whole idea that biden is this crazy leftist who wants to you know do all this stuff that that's one of the talking points that people have against biden yeah i think biden did what he thought was right at the time and and uh if kamala harris is if that's true that she was laughing about something she shouldn't have laughed about then yeah no that's that's not a good thing she's that that would say that would hopefully be something she would regret i don't know the specifics of that but like i just see these two i see them as people that are adults who are actually willing to look at all the perspectives of it and uh, or the you know different viewpoints of it and and deal with it appropriately or, or, you know, have an adult discussion on it, Uh, you know, whether or not, you know, Biden now may be having taking a different tact. I mean, he's also I've changed a lot. I've changed a lot from 20 years ago. A whole lot. I mean, I'm actually writing my second book is partly about a big part about 
how I've changed. But the same same light, I, I've changed some of my perspectives, but I'm still the same person. And um, I, I do think, you know, for all the, it's almost a little bit nauseating now about how decent Biden is. I mean, I get it. Like, I, I definitely do see he's a decent man. I believe that. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't need to keep hearing that endlessly. But but that said, I do think that does matter. And I, I think, yeah, maybe he's changed some perspectives. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he's looking at he's taking in new information and, you know, absorbing that and acting accordingly. I, I, I think that's what leaders should do. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, before we get to the next topic, I want to remind the audience we're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube. You can leave your questions, you know, type them into the comment section. I'll share those with Steve and we'll invite you into the discussion. But, yeah, the audience is welcome to join us um, on as long as we're live streaming here on Facebook and YouTube. Um, Let's take a look at the debates. Those are coming up here pretty quick. Um, Do you have a preview? What do you think is going to happen with these debates? Well, obviously, I, I mean, I, I am supporting Biden clearly, so I, I certainly hope he does well. Um, what I find of interest is, um, and, and I'm not, and I'm fine with this, is that people seem to be counting Biden out and just assuming he's going to fall on his face. And I'm okay with those low expectations, honestly. I, yeah, that's I, true. Uh, yeah, I. I um, I think there's a difference, right, between being able to govern and being able to uh, exude charisma and get, you know, showmanship during a debate. And I think a lot of these debates, unfortunately, that's where they end up being. It's like, you know, who can come up with the one liner as opposed to who's actually listening? I mean, debates ideally are about trying to uncover the truth, right? That's what you're really supposed to be doing when you're having a dialogue and debate, but that's not what these things have become. So no doubt I expect Trump to probably, I mean, just because my low, I have very low expectation for Trump. I expect him to say several things that are nonsensical, but say one or two things that make him sound tough and that will be enough for some of his, you know, for his for the people that support him already. I think some of the people that are on the fence might be swayed by that. To me, again, it's just another tool on his conning toolbox. Um, and, you know, I can see Biden, um, you know, maybe he'll come off sharp. Maybe he won't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I understand why some people are concerned about the debates for Biden. Um but I, I, I think he's smarter than people give him credit for. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I don't know. But I certainly am waiting. I, I, I think Trump is probably practicing his because you'd be in jail moments, you know, his little one liners. <laughs> and um, like I say, unfortunately, I think for a lot of people, those types of things are enough. And so I, that's why I, th- I think the debates are important because there are people who want to hear exactly what they have to say. But I also think it's a double-edged sword because I think some people just want to hear the, you know, the owning the libs part or uh, something along those lines, you know. 
Well, it, it's going to be must see TV, right? I mean, everyone's going to be tuning in. Um, I think we all expect to, Trump to be like a rabid dog, just ready to chew Biden up. Uh, but is Biden going to be able to hold his ground? And, you know, Biden had some good moments and some weak moments in the primary debates. But there's no doubt his team is going to prepare him as well as they possibly can. Um, the thing, by the way, that kind of irks me on these debates, I think I might have mentioned it during our last visit, your last visit here, is that there's only two people. You know, there, there are other parties that have candidates that are on the ballot in all 50 states, um, and they're not included in these debates. I just always wish there was a third choice. Um, after all, there are more people that identify as independent than identify as Republican or Democrat, yet we never see a representative for them on the debate stage. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally am wholeheartedly in agreement with regards to concerns about the two-party system. Those independents, though, which I'm, I'm one of them, um, you know, I, they don't necessarily, I think they're independent because they're independent. I mean, they all have their own specific take on it. So I don't know if, if there really would be a, a consensus opinion of what of what an independent or no no party preference preference person would be right uh, to be on that stage i struggle with this like i for my day job part of what i do is you know procedures development and and uh i always try to think about what's a better way i'm not like everybody's going to listen but the whole idea of, of having these two-party systems the electoral college all these things that came out for reasons you know they developed as they did for reasons but um I think that, like, I think, for example, the the national position of president, I think that should be a, a national vote, up and down vote on population, you know, just like we do with governors or anything else. Everybody in the state votes for the governor. Um, and but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know too much about it, but I know like I think England and some other places they have all the well, I know they have several other parties and, and it's almost like a. Uh, like the one of those like shows like uh, where you weed people off like the the singing shows or whatever the voice or whatever they're called Survivor yeah where where you you kind of just weed people off and then you're left with people right? yeah you know, these are the people who didn't make the cut and this is what we got now you got to make a choice I mean something like that almost seems like it would be better but I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it. I'm sure it's complicated. The primary debates were exactly that. I mean, they we had, well, they had originally the Democrats had like 20 candidates. Remember, they had two debates with 10 each, I think. And then little by little, they weaned that list down. It'd be nice if we saw something like that at the presidential level, because there's going to be three debates. Um, yeah. Um, we do have a question from the audience, and this is um, a question that you originally touched on, but I think we can kind of have a little fun with it. And this is from Pete Neal, and he said, we we have our first official rec requesting a mental health leave of absence. Do you think we should have had more? More officials requesting that? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know that some of these folks, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I don't know that all these people necessarily are, are mentally uh, out of it. I think some of them are doing what they're doing on purpose. Um <laughs> So I don't know if that means you're, you have a mental problem. I think you might have an ethics problem. Um, but, yeah, no, th that guy, I forgot, Caputo, I think his name is, he, he said some stuff that scary stuff. So um, that makes sense. I, ho I hope he gets help because uh, mm -hmm. it sounds like he needs it. You know, I don't take stuff like mental health lightly. Um, 
I know people will joke about it, but I do think it's a serious thing. So it's some of the stuff that guy said, it, it very much falls into this QAnon type stuff we were talking about before. But, uh, you know, if that is true that he's taking a mental health, health leave, and I don't know if he, that's of his own doing or not, but I wish him well, man. I, I hope he, I hope he gets help because, uh, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of people like there, there are people that like, you know, Lindsey Graham will say one thing and say the exact opposite when she's on the other foot. Yeah. Like, I don't know that these are, you know, mental health issues. I, I think they know what they're doing. Right. I think they know exactly what they're doing. Lindsey Graham is now demanding that his opponent show his tax return. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. So I saw that. And, and- Lindsey Graham, when he was a candidate for president in 2016, called Trump every terrible name in the book. And now they're best friends. Um, so and he was gushing over Biden. He like was almost in tears talking about how much he loved Biden. Yeah. And uh, he won't do that now. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, there's so many feelings I have about stuff like that. So much disappointment with some of these people in these yeah. roles, you know? Well, it, it's just so much gamesmanship, so much, you know, bullshit <laughs> that's going on. It's no wonder that there's a lot of people that don't vote at all because they think some of this is nonsense. And yet, you know, we all get kind of caught up in the whirlwind of it. And, and, you know, I think a lot of the chaos that, you know, you're saying that in your book that the Clinton presidency would be mired in controversy. Well, Trump's presidency is mired in controversy partly by design, you know, Mm -hmm. to create the distractions, the chaos. And it's like a magician, you know, everyone's focused Mm -hmm. on the left hand and the right hand's doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. No, just to be clear. So that, that point was that people voted for Trump because they thought Hillary Clinton's uh, administration would be mired in controversy. Exactly. Right. So, um, where clearly, where but like anybody who who was objective about it all saw this coming. It was clear. I mean, the guy already had loads of cases against him, and I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it, the the controversy is again like that stuff he brings on himself, yeah. and 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 him whining about it endlessly. Don't do it, and then you won't have to worry about it. Okay, just you know. Um, but you're right. The, the idea about it being by, be di, by it being by design is an interesting thought because you know lots of people will say that he's purposely will say certain things to kind of get people off talking about COVID or talking about some other ridiculous thing that he says. Where if there, if you just sit and shoot endless amounts of bullets, you know. At some point, people can't can't look at that big one anymore. They have to look at all these other little ones. It, it's just distracting, and maybe that is done by design. You know, I mean, I, I certainly think. I sometimes I, I you know I go back and forth between thinking that you know he doesn't know what he's doing to he knows exactly what he's doing. So, mm-hmm. but the, the, again, the thing that's so disappointing is that these people around him do it too and many of them left even john bolton for christ's sake like i couldn't believe like, i was horrible i purposely uh, uh personally am not a fan of john bolton no. i was kind of horrified i was horrified when he got in that role but even john bolton's turning around so it's hard it's just hard to understand how people can see so many people that trump picks because of their best and brightest and then they go in there they work with them and then they see what the hell and they're like i'm out of here and then Trump starts saying how awful they are. So either all of these people are lying or Trump is a monumental, 
like terrible judge of character because he's the one that's saying that these were the people, these people were so wonderful in the first place. But no, clearly they, you know, they're reporting what they see because they actually see that this is really dangerous. General Mattis, for a general like him, I mean, I don't have that many people in my family in the military, but I, I work with some and, and the, my friends that are, you know, there's a lot of respect for General Mattis, and and Mattis is very much about staying apolitical. For him to say, come out and say what he's saying, I mean, that's like that should be a an alarm bell for a lot of people. I would think, I would think, for those people who are on the cusp. Again, I don't know how they'd be there, but hopefully that would be something that would just recognize. Okay, yeah, maybe Biden's not my favorite, but Jesus Christ, he's better <laughs> than this other option. I hope. Oh. Well, it's it's like, you know, I only hire the best. Right. And then he brings them on board. Then they quit. And then he calls them all kinds of terrible names uh, as like, they're walking out the door. It's sloppy like, well, Steve. Sloppy Steve Bannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you yeah. know. And so but but the fact that he applies those nicknames, I think, is very calculated because he knows it pushes buttons and it props up his base and it fires up the base and it creates division. Um, so. Yeah, Trump is a divider, not a uniter. And he knows how to play that because he's done that in his life even before he was a politician. Um, mm-hmm. I think. Sorry. Sorry, right, done. <laughs> yeah. the, the hazards Five. of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, even like when it's funny, you know, Trump is always talking about how he's slamming fake news all the time. But he was like the, the birther guy, you know, talking about Obama wasn't born in the United States. And you, you wonder if that was sort of like his way of testing the water, if his strategy to win the presidency could actually work. I wonder. I think so. I mean, I mean, it took off. Right. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people felt, you know, went for this. Um, so maybe that was something that told him, I, you know, it sounds like, you know, the Mueller report kind of implies that he didn't really ever expect to win. You know, it sounds like this is all kind of a lot of, it was just a game of, for him to kind of just get his, the name recognition, the, the marketing really. And, and that's what we talked about last time. I mean, he absolutely has been able to market himself. Oh yeah. I mean, like, like one of the sections in the book was about him being a great a business person, which I think it's quite clear he isn't. He's just a wonderful marketer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, people fall for it. And, and when I say things like fall for it, I'm hesitant because I feel like it, it perpetuates this us versus them, you know. Uh, you know, I'm an educated elite and everyone else is a deplorable, you know, like I, I, I hesitate to do that because everybody needs to come together. Even Trump supporters who are avidly for Trump, you know, hopefully Trump is replaced with Biden and some people won't like that. But for us to really progress, we're going to have to deal with not just Trump, but Trumpism. And Trumpism is now tied to this conspiracy stuff with birtherism and, and all these other conspiracies, distrust of experts, like that's what needs to be addressed. And that's, and you, so I, I will, I will still try to have conversations with people that believe some of these things. And it's frustrating. I have very little hair left, but, um, <laughs> you still have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's going, <laughs> But um, I feel like they're important. A lot of people will say it's just a waste of time. I don't know if it is or not, but 
you know, I think it, from my perspective, you have to try because for us to really get past this and, and this crazy talk about civil war and, and all this stuff, like you, you need these people to come together. You need to have a laser focus on common ground. You need to find it and you need to focus on it and you got to keep everybody focused on it. And, uh, you know, that's just not the world we're living in with the leaders we have. So just, uh, just to remind the audience, Steve Dow, the author of the book, 15 Reasons People Voted for Trump in 2016 and Why These Don't Apply in 2020. Um, you know, before we started, I think it was yesterday, I sent out a, an announcement on my Facebook page, letting everyone know that you'd be joining us for this podcast. And someone told me, he goes, you got to ask Steve this question. And it's, it's a challenging question. 15, give us 15 reasons to vote for Biden without mentioning Trump. Is that even possible? Um, You're a no-party preference guy, so I don't know how fair of a question this is to you. But Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I could find 15. I don't know if I can find them on the fly. Mm -hmm. But um, 15 reasons for voting for Biden. I mean, without mentioning Trump. Okay, I won't mention Trump. He's an adult. (laughs) That's number one. And he acts like an adult. Mm -hmm. And people who act like Trump isn't acting like a child, I think, are not being objective. Um, Biden has a history of reaching across the aisle. That That's true. Again, go watch this video of Lindsey Graham literally almost in tears gushing over Joe Biden. I mean, there there is a, there is a, um, you know, again, we talk about decency and sincerity and all that matters. But there's a willingness, I think, on the part of Biden to really listen right this is all part of being an adult um to listen so when people say oh he's just going to be a shell and all those people on the left no i think he'll listen to the left but that's different than just doing what people want like like already like people told him hey are you going to defund the police he said no and there was like, why are you going to defund the police? And I think he's like pointing out the obvious that that is first and foremost is a terrible phrase because it's incredibly misleading. Right. And two, if anything else, we actually, we need to support it. What a, ter- a hard job. I don't know a harder job than a police officer. You know, you, we need to properly train these people. And, and instead of maybe having tanks and tanks and all these things that the military has, you know, we can use some of those funds to teach people about de-escalation type tactics or, you know, other types of training, sensitivity trainings. That when I say sensitivity training, I know there's probably a portion of your listeners who their hair went up on their on their arm because they hate stuff like that because it sounds so left, right? Right. But it, but it, it, like, I think if you're objective about it, you can. If you truthfully, I, I don't. Know, I think it's quite clear that that's actually what is needed. Stuff like that. Yeah, I was like, I mean, I'm not saying go go back to just batons, like with billy clubs or whatever they're called. But like, um, there's something missing, I think, in the training. And I think we need the, you know, the um, the cameras on, on the on the vests and all that stuff. I think that can protect the police officers as well. Some people will, will start to recognize, hey, this is a hard job, you know. But I think Biden's just being smart about it. So I don't know how many of that is. Is that all still under the umbrella of being an adult? I don't know. But um, I, 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 whoever somebody tell that person to shoot me an email or something. I'll, I'll find 15 discrete things if I have to, but okay. you know, not mentioning Trump 
um, the reality is him not being Trump is a huge. I mean, I kind of I kind of don't accept the premise of the question because Biden not being Trump is a big plus. It's a huge plus. So we don't we live in this world where we have we essentially have two options. Right. I mean, realistically, every election is a referendum on the incumbent, isn't it? Probably. I mean, if 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 you're doing a good job, then people probably keep you there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't I don't don't, I'm not sure if that goes for everything, but it makes sense. That makes sense. So the point is, it's really hard to frame if that really hard to answer that question without mentioning Trump. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we, you could certainly do some digging and coming up with it, but I thought it was, I, I felt I had to ask you that because I thought it was an interesting question. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I know. I, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. I have that person send me, I'm happy to come up with 15 things. I, I'm sure there are 15 things that most people can agree with that okay. would help them support Biden. If they're, if they're having a hard time getting over the hump. I can't remember his name, but I'll go back into the Facebook posts and I'll, I'll let him okay. know. Okay. Um, let, let, let's do this. Um, you know, I still want to get to Rancher Bernardo stuff because that's mm-hmm. important because I like covering the local issues. But I want to just have you share a story. And you, we were talking about it before we got started with your book, The 15 oh, yeah. Reasons People Voted for Trump in 2016. You told me how you went to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and passed these out. You know, describe that for our, our listeners and viewers, um, what that experience was like. Yeah, that was one of the cooler things I think I've ever done in my life. Um, yeah, that's terrible. Hold on one second. <laughs> I'm live. I'm live. Sorry. <laughs> hey, entertainment, right? It makes it more fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was very cool. So uh, what I did, I you know brought, I think, 300 or so books. I didn't give them out to everybody, but 300 or so books. I shipped them to my brother in Philadelphia. <laughs> Fluid Philly, and he and I both. He, uh, my brother runs a VA hospital in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and uh, he and I both went down and we went handed them out uh, in Congress. And it was truthfully one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, Scott Peters, our, our local representative, um, agreed to. Uh, there was a little letter saying, "Hey, this is my constituent who wrote this book." Mm-hmm. And I, mo- I, for the most part, handed them out to Democrats. Because my fear was that if a Republican got it, it would immediately go in the waste bin, which yeah. I, I think was just realistic. And truth be told, that might have happened anyway. <laughs> but uh, it came with a letter from him, and it all got passed through their ethics committee to make sure there was no problem. And we went around. And it was really it felt it was very rewarding as somebody who tried to encapsulate. Hey, this is what I think as a random citizen, right? You know, um, this is what I feel. Here you go. And I'm handing them to staffers, right? I, I, I didn't really come across the Congress folks themselves, per se, except in the hallways. But it was cool. Actually, I know what, when we went to uh, AOC's office, mm-hmm. she was in the office. I could hear her. So it's just interesting to kind of just be around that world. And what was really fascinating was we were there on one of the days of the uh, Ukraine uh, trial stuff going on. I forgot the, oh my goodness, I meant to check this before I came on, but the woman who was the ambassador to the Ukraine, she was being deposed at the time. So every time we went to an office in these three different buildings, we, we, I pretty much did the House and then I went over to the Senate side and, and put Gaysom out to the Senate. But everybody was watching this live. So it was, it was pretty interesting. I, I met my wife in D.C. and it's a really neat vibe 
uh, some people might not, might not like the DC vibe, but to me, I found it pretty interesting to be back in there, you know, where, you know, people come home and turn on political debates instead of watching a football game or whatever. It's just, it's just a little bit different over there. So it was interesting to be, to be in that. Uh, but that was a very cool thing. It was great bonding time with my brother. Um, but it was cool how you had that access. I mean, I was worried that because we came in with these suitcases full of books, we just went through a little metal detector and that was it. I was worried that something else was, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'd have to do some iris scan or SATA, who knows? Yeah. Um, and then you had that access. Now, granted, I didn't meet with any, I, I didn't, I didn't donate $50,000. So I didn't uh, meet with any people there. Unfortunately, that's, I think, too much of the reality, you know, right. a lot of this stuff is you got to kind of pay to play, which Trump, I argue in my book makes it much worse um, based on the data. But um, nonetheless, just being able to go hand that out. That was, that was a really cool thing for me. That was a lot of fun. Were you able to actually see any of the elected officials while you were passing them out? Maybe, maybe not hand it to them, but see them walking by in the hallway. Or well, I would see people in the hallway. Um, like we saw, like, so, when this woman, the ambassador, a former ambassador to Ukraine, finished up her um, testimony, I'm, I'm in one of these offices handing it out, and I see it on the screen. I see that she's wrapping out. So my brother and I run downstairs, and we see um, – we didn't see her, but we saw Adam Schiff there. We saw Jim Jordan, the guy who never wears a jacket there. Um, and you see all it, – it was, it was pretty interesting because all those – interviews are literally right in the vestibule of a building mm-hmm. it's it struck me as like a security risk honestly because any random person could have just walked in um i thought but uh it was cool you definitely felt like you were a part of it and no doubt no doubt there was a there's a police presence there a big one mm-hmm. and loads of camera you know cnn and fox and all that but you also had the the youtuber camera people and uh it was just it was history it was neat to be there on that day or one of those days. Uh, it was very cool. Very cool. I, I mean, I recommend anybody to make it to, if you make it to DC to, to look into doing not, not necessarily handing out a book or anything, but going visiting, visiting with your um, representative, you can get these little cars and you can actually watch you, you get, it's like a ticket. You can actually watch them on the floor. It's, it's just a very neat thing. And I'm someone that loves history and, one of my relatives was a senator way back when. Um, mm. So it was cool just to kind of envision him talking and uh, in some of these places. It is a very neat trip. Yeah. One of the coolest things I've done. I, I, I didn't. Well, when were we back there? This must have been about 10 years ago with a family. And we walked through um, you know, some of the halls of Congress and it was it was it was really moving. Um, but for political nerds like us, it's almost like a trip to Disneyland, you know, um, it's like Mecca. We get to go visit. Um, but good for you. I think that's great that you not only got to walk the uh, the hallways, but you were able to feel like you were participating in the process of democracy and citizen participation. I think that's cool. Yeah, I feel good about it. I mean, like, again, you never know what comes of it, if, if anything. And like I say, half of those could have gone straight into the waste bin, but you know, it, it felt like some of these people were actually looking at it and reading it and, and uh, it just felt good. And you felt, you don't write a book like that, even though it's a small book, it didn't take me that long to write, but I don't do that. Like anytime I think anybody creates anything, 
you create it because you want to create it, whether it's a technical political book or it's mm-hmm. other stuff. Like I'm writing a book now that I'm hopefully I have done by the end of the year. It's more personal, but you do that because you want to create on its own, but then you also want people to absorb it. Right. Like, right. Bruce Springsteen talks about his career being a conversation with his audience. Right. So if there is no one listening, it, it doesn't quite feel as, as good, but you still want to create cause this is the time you got, you know, this is, right. what, this is, a, this is the time you got, you know, only you can say what you can say. Um, so you want to either going to decide to add, add to the conversation or not. So that was, that was fun. And definitely I could talk endlessly about that trip. Uh, it was great bonding time with my brother and all, all these. It was wonderful. We almost saw Jane Fonda, actually. Jane Fonda was... Really? <laughs> she was um, supposed to be doing some climate uh, climate change uh, protest. And I think we just missed her or something, but... It was neat being back there. It, it's a it's a very neat city. It's unique, unique city. Very much so. Well, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying about um, you know creating something, building something, sharing your thoughts. I mean, that's what we're doing right now in this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and this expression that we're having right now, in and of itself, is very fulfilling, very rewarding. And the fact that we're able to share that with other people, you know, bonus. So yeah. all good. I totally get it. Um, let's um, let's shift gears and let's go talk about some local issues. And, you know, I know you're on the Rancho Bernardo Community Planning Board. Um, and I, I would just love to just kind of get the, the basic FAQ on, on the board. And what, what does it do? What's it, its authority? What's your role? Maybe you can share um, the Rancho Bernardo Community Planning Board with us. Yeah, well, it's something um, I didn't know much about. And a friend of, uh, of my wife and I mentioned it, and she sits on the board. And so I looked into it, and it, what's interesting is these are small boards lots of people don't even know exist. So it's not necessarily hard to get on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I was elected to get on it. And uh, so there, there's a Rancho Bernardo Community Council. There's a Rancho Bernardo Community Planning Board. And then there's a, another board that thinks like a recreation. Like I know they run like the RB Park or they, they have some type of oversight for the RB Community Park. So there are these different organizations that all can kind of feed and give um, input to the city. So... Uh, yeah, the RV planning board is is geared towards planning type issues, like land use type issues. Um, one of the things that came up uh, was the uh, I know someone wanted where the El Torito used to be. Do you know where that is? In yeah. I think it's West Bernardo Road. Yeah, way back in the very back of the parking lot. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> someone I guess a developer was looking to <clears throat> potentially turn that into like a marijuana dispensary oh wow okay so that became a really big issue and that actually came up right before i even came on the board um but that was like that was a type of of an issue where people were really upset because they didn't want that by their kids or by their uh like there's a church within a certain distance come on Uh, (laughs) well see this is what you know what's interesting is so that that was this was actually before I was even on the board. I went to one of their meetings, and this was the main topic. <clears throat> and um, there was a concern about how far away the the one thousand foot distance needs to be from a residence. 
And it turned, lo and behold, I think the city changed some of the language to, to the liking of most of the people in the community because it would, theoretically would keep this away. Um, but it was interesting. By the time I got there and it kind of came up again, I, lo- I was looking at it. And it was really interesting to see how the language is written. It said, like, there was a thousand foot requirement to keep it away from, like, a school or a church or I think some other centers. But it was a smaller distance for to someone's house. And so I, I was just kind of making the point that we should be pushing for some type of consistency, right? Because yeah. if you have a girl who goes to school and she's quote-unquote protected, right, this distance theoretically gives you some – the community is obviously thinking there is some protection that needs to go in for kids, really, is what this is geared towards, Right. Like, I guess you wouldn't want a strip joint right next to your your house. Right. <laughs> right. So I think that's the thinking. I, I don't personally have a huge problem with people smoking pot, you know, but um, maybe that's a separate issue. This is more just geared towards how the, how it was written, where they had this 1000 foot radius requirement or distance requirement for some institutions, but not for personal residences. So that girl who goes to that school is protected during the day. But when she goes home, she's not. Right. She lives 500 or 500 feet or less. Or when she's doing homework, you know, in the library, she's protected. But when she's doing homework on her kitchen table, she's not like that to me. It's like if we as a community are going to deem this a threat, then just why wouldn't it be consistent throughout? So that was interesting. We we sent that into the city, and I'm pretty sure it was <laughs> summarily ignored. Um, I don't know that people. I don't think we really got a com- any comments back on it. Which is one of those things that sounds like th- that. That's something that I've heard um, people have been frustrated with is that you know some of these panels or groups come together, really doing doing research, like real research, trying to bring up certain issues, and whether or not they really get listened to is is a, a concern. I mean, that, that's, I feel that way about a lot of things. Like even, even like, um, Poway Unified, like our kids, uh, one of our kids still goes to Poway Unified. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember I'd go to board meetings and I would make comments and, and, you know, you got your three minutes and you just feel kind of like, did anybody really just pay attention to anything I just said? Is this just gonna, you know, and I do remember one time I brought something up. This is, I'm going off topic probably, but my kid didn't want to go to the SeaWorld trip, the field trip for SeaWorld because mm-hmm. he had a problem with it. I'm like, I respected that. I'm like, okay. So during the whole blackfish time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, around that yeah. time. Yeah. And, um, I respected that. So we had to find out what was going to go on. And, and it turns out like there was a teacher that could be set aside where he could stay there. But on the form, there's no mention of that, that that's even an option. Cause we had other friends who said that they didn't, they prefer their kid not go. So I brought that up at the board meeting and I said, Hey, at the very least, when you have that form, can you just make it, let people know that there's another option? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think I followed up with somebody at staff and, and the answer was, yeah, no, we're, we took that into account. And then next year, the next year or the year after when my second kid gets to that thing, it's the exact same form. So <laughs> kind of like I took, I yeah. took the time. Yeah. You know, like, like, or like even just trying to do now with this, with this board at the very least, listen. And, and I, I'm, uh, so I'm on the uh, district advisory committee for power unified. And one of the things I'm really pushing is have some type of system that when someone gives you feedback, 
track and put a number, log it and track it. Like, you know, all those like get things done app on San Diego app where you, you put something on your app and, and it's locked. That way people at least feel like they're being listened to. They're not being forgotten. And, uh, you know, I know, I know uh, not so much on Power Unified, but I know now, like, for example, even just giving public comments kind of difficult. You have a really, like, during the board meetings, you have this really limited window. I would think a, uh, any organization would be eager to get feedback anytime, right? I mean, I'm like, a, I don't know if I told you before we started this talk or after, but I'm giving a presentation next week um, about lean construction, lean construction being like a, kind of like a theoretically smarter way to, to, to do construction. And, um, you know, the whole idea of just having procedures in place and procedures where you can actually, people can raise flag, Hey, there's a problem here, you know, and then you actually listen to that person, regardless of who, how low they are on the totem pole and bring that into your systems and evaluate it. Like I, I think districts need to do that. Cities need to do that. They need to set up avenues where people can give information and not just be forgotten, you know. So I, I hope that changes somehow. This is the whole difference between the private and public sector, because I'm a small business owner. And if one of my customers wanted to share with me their experience, maybe some frustration they have, I am all ears. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to do whatever I can to satisfy that customer. Um, and, you know, within reason, of course. Um, but it just seems that with the public sector, when you approach the um, the board or the city council, you know, you got three minutes to say your piece and they cut the microphone off. And then you don't wonder if they're even paying attention to your point. They don't necessarily have a log. And really, you wonder, is it just a dog and pony show? Are they just creating this illusion of citizen participation or is it legit? Um, I've spoken numerous times mm -hmm. at the Poway Unified uh, school board meetings, but, you know, I, I make my objections very clear very logical and then they're ignored um so it, it's yeah, frustrating it is and i, I had you know had conversations with people you know they, there's some issue i think now with costco like i think power unified is considering selling a, some property to build a costco or something along these lines i don't know the specifics of it but anytime there's a decision that people suddenly don't like what do we do what do we do well what do you do you build a time machine you go back in time and you you don't put the people in that office who, who are going to, you know, not listen to you. Right. You know, and not to say that, I, you know, uh, I'm not naming names particularly, but I mean, um, and having systems in place where we say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to log every one of these things. We're going to have the system where there's transparency and we will answer your question. Maybe your answer is. The answer is no for now. We're going to look down the road, but at least you, you acknowledged it, you know, um, but like you have to have the people in the in those roles who care to get that feedback, and if you don't, then don't expect don't expect change. You know, I mean that that's you need you need people who care to make the change to be in those roles. Yeah, you do. Um, but you know, to me, the politicians that are elected, it's it's a lot about power, right? And even at the local level, it's about you know accessing power. And when you have the power and the other people don't, you know, people like to flex their muscles. So we see some of that. Um, but it's interesting. Also, my understanding is is that when people deliver public comments at these meetings, the city council or the school board or maybe both are not really allowed to 
respond or engage in discussion, um, mm-hmm. you know, which then frustrates the speaker even further because you wonder yeah. if it's even being heard. Um, wow. I, I get that because they have an agenda. They got to stick to the agenda. But I would hope that at the very least they, it's tracked and there's some way. Yeah. That that it is, you know, assign a number. Yeah, have, a, have a scoreboard, you know, it's like how many people have objected to the Costco for Poway Unified? Yeah, wouldn't yeah. it be great if we could all see that? Because not only are we, we visibly get to see the people that speak at a meeting, but there are countless letters that flow in. Oh, yeah. Um, and we were just talking about that last night at the Poway uh, City Council meeting because there's a proposed development. But there were only six people that spoke at the meeting, but supposedly, 40 or 50 people that wrote letters. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting process, but what's, I want to get back to the Rancho Bernardo thing. Cause it's interesting because these, these boards, they're connected to the community. They're local. They're very neighborhood oriented, but do they have actual authority or, or is it purely advisory to the city of San Diego? Advisory from what I can tell. Yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of new to it. I'm still even figuring out like the, uh, like say there's the RBC council, versus RB planning group, which I'm on our community planning group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's all kind of advisory. And uh, and with being an advisory committee, you can easily be dismissed, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, you have more of a voice than you would if you're just a random, you know, Steve Dow calling from True. my house. Right. So, and and you can build. I'm um, you know I'm pushing for a couple of things. Um, some of them might not necessarily totally fall with the the planning group. I'm finding out, um, but uh, yeah, I mean just trying to you know trying to help or be involved in the community is something I'm getting more interested in. So, in your opinion, what are the top one or two issues in Rancho Bernardo that our people are talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, the last couple of meetings we've talked about um, some of the state, um, laws or, or you know, uh, SB and AB laws, I guess they're called, that have to do with housing. So the, the housing um, issue is a big issue, the YIMBY versus NIMBY. And, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff has kind of already been decided by the state because the state has made some laws and, and I, I can't pretend to be able to rattle off each one of these right now. Um, but the idea of, you know, local control versus, you know, the state kind of circumventing the, the standard process, right? You know, the standard, like if I'm going to, if I want to change from single family to multifamily zoning, it's usually a process, you know, where you have, you have your community plan, it gets updated. Um, so I, I think some of these laws are geared toward kind of just completely sort of going around, around that. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Even if you like, for example, you know, if you suddenly have an RB or Poway or wherever, many more multifamily housing units and anticipated without any worry for roadway traffic or anything else. I mean, there are impacts there. So, I mean, the whole idea of processes like that or or plans like that is that when someone puts in this, you know, waiver request or anything else, there's a process by where we check the boxes. Is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? I'm just not a fan of going around. I am kind of a process oriented person. I, I get that there can be exceptions. Um, and I'm open to that, but, um, 
in general, I'm not a fan of just having people dictate, this is what you're going to do. Um, and it's complicated, especially with housing, because, you know, then you start, there are all these different factors that come in because, you know, some people can't afford houses here. Some will just say, okay, well, then live somewhere else. Other people will be like, well, you know, it's not fair. You're pricing these people out. What type of community do we want to be? I mean, these are legitimate questions. So I don't, I don't want to pretend like I don't care about them. I do. I just am not convinced that just having people dictate from Sacramento, this is how you're going to do it. And it's going to broad brush for every, every community. Even when that, I mean, that could hurt, hurt our climate action plan goals, right? If all of a sudden now all these people have to travel all over with gasoline-oriented cars or whatever it might be. So I'm just a plan of, I'm a fan of going through the plan and um, and updating it and, um, you know, when it's necessary and being timely with it. But I'm just, a, I'm a fan of procedures. I'm just right. a fan of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, um, yeah, it makes sense, you know, just by, on your background and the things you do for your day job, you're a very procedural oriented person. I get that. It, it seems, it seems though that the, um, the, what, what Sacramento is trying to do is not necessarily dictate to the cities, but they're trying to prevent the cities from having their own zoning ordinances that are essentially NIMBY oriented. And they're trying to, you know, make it as easy as possible for there to be more construction because they want more housing units. So ultimately the price of housing will go down. That Mm -hmm. seems to be the whole objective. And it's interesting because normally, um, you know, the politicians in Sacramento, um, which tend to be more Democratic than Republican, are usually very anti-development. And now we're seeing it kind of begin to shift a bit. It's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and there are probably loads of very nuanced factors involved. Um, yeah, I, I remember some of those laws were were geared much more towards providing incentives to cities versus, I don't know, maybe I, I didn't read them as well enough, but they seem to me to be a little bit more dictatorial. Um, but uh, either way, I mean, it's clearly an issue that ought to be addressed. I, I just... I I am more leaning or defaulting towards local control, understanding that there are issues with that. I mean, because now we're talking about whole other issues, local control. I mean, for a lot of people, you say local control, the next thing in their head is redlining, right? The whole history of redlining. Right, right. So these are legit issues, no doubt. But uh, it's a baby in the bathwater issue for me. Like, uh, do you really want to get rid of all local control because of our our country's history? I think, can we not address some of these issues without just getting rid of local control or or at least some level of local authority or say, at least? Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I get why the local want to have local control, but then sometimes the pendulum swings too far. And I think we're trying to figure that out. It's all playing out right now for sure. Um, And in fact, there's going to be a vote in November about um, removing partly one of those zoning orders for the stone golfers. So, yeah, it's a very fast topic. But still, even in Rancho Bernardo, there's not a lot of space to build anymore, is there? I don't think so. Unless you go up into like four or up that way, right? Yeah, I, I just went for a walk today. I passed a Silvergate community that was just built uh, over kind of not that far away from uh, RB High. I'm not aware of, of too much. I, I do know that there are a couple uh, 
I don't, know, I don't know how much of yeah. I, there are a couple of areas I think that are maybe open space that potentially people are looking at, or developers are looking at, and um, you know if it's designated open space, I think there has to be a reason to undesignated open space. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it's not like an open desert community with endless land. I mean, Rich Bernardo is, it was like at one point, just one person's ranch, right? I guess right. Bernardo's ranch. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, uh, there's less and less land to, to do that much. I mean, I guess you can build higher, which is probably what people are pushing for. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're going to have to go vertical if they're going to increase housing units. In fact, that's going to be part of the proposal for the land down by the sport arena right um potentially mm. removing what is it a 30 foot limit i think down there so um it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um you know on the rb uh, community planning board i looked at some of the agendas and i saw your name connected with sandag are you like the local representative yeah well everybody has to kind of join a committee so i'm on the regional planning committee mm-hmm. um for that for that board so that meets every they both meet monthly um so every two weeks i have a meeting and then part of that um you can be at the sandag sandag liaison which i guess in pre-covid world i'd maybe go down and go try to go to some of those executive committee meetings and take notes meet people talk uh in this world i basically just you know watch the zoom meeting watch the zoom meeting and report but uh yeah i mean i'm I'm interested in in how these different entities try to work together and and uh actually it's interesting you because you had a, a talk I was on a walk the other day and I, was, I piped in on one of your talks. You were talking with a group of two folks talking about um, campaign finance reform. Yeah, that's right. And, and I know that. Us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and some of the research I was doing about Sandag, I guess the executive director there just gave a can, a personal campaign donation. And there was some, pushback within some of the executive committee whether or not no no doubt it was a legal thing to do but it may not have been the ethical thing to do because does it give a conflict of interest and so these are all interesting interesting things that you know they're all nuanced and they're all unique um but people have a right to i mean i oh, I mean, we could go Pandora's box on that. I think we already, you already had the Citizens United discussions. I won't go there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's a hot one right there, but let just, you know, we're already at like what hour 25. I don't want to go much longer, but I want to ask you, you, there was the recent proposal from Sandag about the tremendous um, redevelopment of our transportation system in San Diego County. I mean, have you taken a look at that? Do you have any broad brush or specific thoughts on the? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the broad brush. I think they're they're. It's called like the five hubs, hubs or whatever. I, and forgive me, I don't remember them all. But it's like essentially just having like specific areas, you know, where there would be like transportation hubs. Uh, it was about. Oh my god! I should prepare for this. But you know, sort of having mobility from one from one to the other. You know, uh, I don't remember. Oh, I'll get back to you exactly what they were. But that's okay. um, yeah, that's fine. They're they're trying to build a comprehensive plan. Um, you know, that allows for things like bike lanes and and uh, hopefully is taking into account things like technology and and. And things like, you know, EV, electrical vehicles that are smart vehicles that, 
I mean, there's a lot we can do. Like when you talk about transportation, usually if there's a transportation project, it's all about, let's say we need to add another lane, we need to build a new road. But as these technologies come on board with EVs, I know you have two, I think, right? Yeah. So a lot of the technologies that are there, theoretically, well, not just theoretically, they allow cars to actually communicate with each other. So whereas you normally might have a, a lane that has cars drive 50 feet away from each other, you th- if, the, if all these cars were smart, you could ther- theoretically be right on, on each other, five feet apart, and still moving at the same speed, you know? I mean, like a swarm but, of bees. Well, yeah, but I mean, the idea is like there are technologies. So, but if that's the case, then you don't need to build a new lane, right? Exactly. So why, yes. why spend all this money to do something if there's technologies that are probably going to happen or are already happen, um, mm-hmm. but probably happen here at some point? Why not just build towards the future instead of building towards yesterday or, or even today? Um, so, I mean, all those things that I, I know that's all the stuff that's being discussed. I don't know how all those plans are going to end up exactly. And then, you know, again, I've made plenty of plans that sit on shelves, you know, unless they're actually enacted and enforced. Yeah. Uh, they're, they make great paperweights, you know. Well, you know, I think you and I may be of like minds on this because, um, you know, the technology is going to be changing tremendously. The self-driving EVs, the the smart technology, the swarm of bees idea um, with the telecommuting. And, you know, that we're all going through with COVID. There's going to be less people on the road. And um, so it's almost like, remember, Wayne Gretzky would say, I'm going to skate to where the puck is going, not where yeah. it is right now. And so it, I always get frustrated that there's a love affair with light rail, you know, Mm. and there's a love affair with trains that goes back to the 19th century. And I think we should be developing 21st century solutions um, that could actually be a lot less expensive because I think that proposal um, from the Sandag, is it the president? It's not the chair. I think Steve Voss is the chair, right? Mm. But but the, the executive director, it was like, hundreds of billions of dollars i mean that was going to go into this if the whole enchilada went through it's big yeah i mean i'm torn on light rail because i can see how it can help people who are you know lesser lesser served communities maybe um who don't have a car oh but they're not going to be car you're you're gonna they're gonna be uh the cars are gonna be like almost like a taxi right You, you just summon a car well, this, this is what I find really interesting in, in the discussion that I feel like a lot of people are so gung ho about light rail don't seem to focus on it, all things equal. People would prefer a car, right? I mean, let's say that there's no environmental problem, which if everybody has EVs, there's much less of an environmental problem. But right. people prefer a car because they can go wherever they want, whenever they want. Yes. Right? Yeah. They don't have to walk somewhere and then wait. Right? There's like a massive convenience factor that is just true and undeniable. Yes. And I think lots of people will prefer that. So then the question is, well, if you can get, whether people own them or not, or whether there's a city service or a private service where they send these little cars, self-driving cars out to pick people from A to B, and that can be any A and any B yes, at any yeah. time. You're right. You know, and it's not hurting the environment because it's, let's say, fully electric or limited environmental impact. How is that not better? Right. So, I mean, yeah. that I, I'm, I'm not, I'm certainly not anti-rail, but 
I'm anti not thinking around the corner, which is maybe kind of what you're proposing yes. or talking about. Right. right. You got to skate to where the park's going to be. You got you got to try to anticipate that. And I just don't see, and I lived in like DC and I grew up near New York and I certainly understand that it can work. Right. I mean, public transit in a, in a massive city, it works. But when you're more spread out, like California or like certainly San Diego, I think it's harder to work, you know, and not to say that it can't or that it doesn't for some people, but you know, just the convenience of going exactly where you need to go. Uh, I don't know how you replace that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You can go to any point A to any point B at any time. And as opposed, and then like in with light rail, we have such little infrastructure as it is. I mean, they would have to, multiply the infrastructure by 10 or 20 to give it any sort of uh, meaningful impact. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. if you're in Rancho Bernardo or Poway, I mean, you got to somehow get to the transit station. It's not like yeah. you're in downtown Tokyo where you can walk a block and go down some stairs and there's a subway. Um, it's a very different deal. Yeah, that actually is something we brought up in, in one of our meetings, actually, was that whole the whole concept of the last mile, right? So getting yeah. from your house to the hub right like i think it was it was a very long walk when we whatever it was like from like the second point rb to the the hub you know it's not realistic and especially given that you know the the demographics of of the ranch bernardo area expecting everybody generally a little bit older to just trek you know 35 mile walk or whatever it may i think it was less than that but uh, nonetheless, I mean, it, ha- having like a shuttle or something taking people to that would might maybe help. But just having those those conversations and being honest about them, and and uh, like you say, skating to the, where the puck's going to be. Mm-hmm. Again, that's all. That's all stuff. People people need to be doing it. And you're right because they're so. They're, it's very easy just to do it how it's been done. But that's how that's how you get left behind. Yeah, that's how that's you get right. left behind. This is a great topic. I mean, we can go forever on this. So you're working on a new book and hopefully it's going to be available by the end of the year. And it's going to be kind of a personal story. I think mm. we're going to look forward to that one. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's more personal than a, a political book about Trump. Yeah. 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 Well, you said it's kind of like how you've changed, how you've evolved uh, that. Mm. I, I'll look forward to that discussion when that book's available, because I've changed. I've evolved in my life politically, economically, my opinions on things have shifted dramatically. Mm. Um, That'd be a fun discussion. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, one other last thing. I know we're probably wrapping up here. One other thing I just wanted to point out, because I want to make this known in case people don't know, and it's related towards RB. Uh, It's not so much RB planning, but just in general, the, and we talked about it a little bit with the, the, the policing and defunding the police and, and being smart about it. But I just want to point out, based on data, because the state now has RIPA data, Racial Identity Profiling Act, I think it's called, mm-hmm. where they actually police when they pull people over, they actually have to log um, perceived race, a couple of other things. But when you look at that, like RB, I think it has like, it pull, pulls over four times the amount of African-Americans and whites. And that's when you factor in population. Now, I'm not, you know, obviously more whites live in RB. Right. But those discussions, I think like getting the facts out on stuff like that. Um, so I, I've been asking about that topic because I care about it um, a lot. And, you know, apparently there's some report that's supposed to come out at the end of the year for the whole city of San Diego uh, analyzing this data. But 
I don't know. I just wanted to at least make sure I got that in there. I, I really think that this is a, a real issue and, and it, it doesn't mean, again, this is the whole topic and I, I'll keep it short. It, uh, systemic racism does not mean that every white person, you or I, anybody else is personally a racist and we have our KKK garb in the closet. It, <laughs> right. it is, it is not that. And I think right. some people, when they hear that term systemic racism, they, they're anticipating this system, secret system of personal racists. It's all about um, the, the infrastructure and the history of how things developed that creates a situation where why is it, you know, that this had, this seems to be the case where they get pulled over four times. We're like, that's a lot. It is, you know? Yeah. So, um, anyway, I just want to bring that up because that's something I had actually just done a lot of research on recently. Um, that's a legit point. And it's, um, you know, when, when people talk about systemic racism, typically the system is the government policy, whether it's from the police or the justice system or any other, you know, uh, facet of government. Um, that's usually where the problem lies and the culture of mm. the police, you know, maybe, and, and there may the black people may be getting pulled over at a disproportional rate, not necessarily because the police are racist, but, but maybe because there's a lot of ignorance or fear or just some misguided approaches to things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these things need to be addressed head on. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like in the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal. You know, we should all be equal under the law. And um, no one group should be disproportionately impacted on these sorts of things. Right, right. And so that that's written with a goal. Now, granted, what, that wasn't written with black people in mind or women in mind or non-property owners in mind. But that doesn't, or indigenous people in mind, but that doesn't mean that we now as a country can't say, no, no, this is what we want it. This is what it means to us now. And we're going to fight for it because this is what it's, this is the right way it should be. Um, Yeah, I I agree. I've always thought that the, um, you know, people talk about the founding fathers of America and, and then people criticize them. Oh, they're a bunch of slave owners and they're all white and they didn't give women rights. And that's true. But, you know, I always think the ideas that were captured by the founding fathers were largely really good. It's just been the implementation of those ideas have been so difficult because of culture, because of history and traditions, and frankly, a lot of ignorant people have made progress to this ideal um, that was painted, you know, in the in, in our founding documents. Um, we shouldn't give up on those ideas because they're right. Uh, yeah. That's why this podcast, I always say it's about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, those are ideals. Those are rights that I really believe in. But I know that those haven't been given out or been people's rights haven't been protected. Some have and others haven't. Um, and that's wrong. And we got to fix those things. But I think the North Star is correct. I agree. I agree. I actually was wearing that shirt. I should have worn it today. The Pursuit of Happiness shirt. And I was walking and somebody came up to me. He's like, I love that shirt. I'm like, thank you. Oh, wow. And I really- and I realized that, and I, oh, I'm still still trying to sum up here because I know we're, we're way over time. But okay. um, like it was some of these things you just never know how to interpret them. This this man said that, and maybe he just meant that, and that's it. But I almost took it as he took it as that's right. I have a right to pursue my own happiness, which he yeah. which he does. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. But almost like forget about all the other stuff. And I don't know. It was like a very weird vibe I got from it. And, 
and and which is not right because but the thing is what i love about that that saying as so many of us in the country love about it it's a pursuit of happiness but it it means so much less if 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 not everyone can have the that same pursuit right and have and have a real shot like a practically speaking like a real shot at reaching that happiness or or whatever that might be um so that's where i think like the the social justice or the activism comes in is because hey look me and that guy who said that to me who my guess is he turned around and put on a MAGA hat. <laughs> he and I right. both fully agree with that. All I'm saying is I want it for everybody else too. Right. Yes. And, and uh, I think that's all yours. That's all, all, all like the black, black lives matter. I think the heart of what's being said, that's all they're saying is like, we want this too. Whether or not one of their co-founders was trained in Marxist training, whether or not, you know, all these other things, it's the heart of it is we want this for everybody, you know? And, um, and I don't say how people, I mean, that's a common, I talk about common ground. That's a common ground. Hopefully everybody can get on, get around. Like everybody wants law and order, including, you know, poor people in the ghetto or wherever, you know, who might not look like me. I mean, everybody wants it. They just want it equally, you know, they want to be treated equally. So anyway, I wanted to get that last little, yeah, well, I did a whole podcast episode on the other guy has rights too. Um, yeah, because usually when people talk about rights, they're looking at themselves. You know, damn it, I have a right to this and I have a right to that. But the other guy has a right to it too. And um, if we think of it in those terms that we all have equal rights, um, then you begin to have respect and empathy for the people around you, and then you don't want to violate their right. Right. Um, and, I, and I think if we can look at it that way, then it suddenly start the model makes a lot of sense. Um, so, again, I, that's why I think the, the North Star is right. We need to learn more. We need to be um, uh, we need to be better at it. So yeah. that's part of what we're trying to do on the podcast. Right. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, no, the, the whole we the people uh, and people throw that term around. But we the people does not just mean you and your friends. Right. Who yeah. think like or me and my friends who think like me it means we the people people including people who you might completely disagree with you know? yes so but that that is what's beautiful about the country right i mean that is, it is an idea you know and, and it is an experiment yes. and that's like voting for people who recognize that <laughs> uh you know uh, is important in in 50 days or, or less whatever it is so Anyway, I brought it around back to the election, so maybe I'll end it there. But well, Steve, is there a way that people can get a hold of you? Um, I think didn't you build like a Facebook page or a website for your book here? The yeah, yeah, yeah. There's if you if you type in that title on Facebook, it will come up. That that's I I'm not really pushing that. I haven't really been doing much in the way of advertising or anything there, but I do periodically check that. So if if you guys want or anybody wants to talk to me, by all means, and. Love to get feedback on that, and I'm happy to talk to. I don't know that I'm really totally up for running a 15 things for running for Biden, but I, I will do that if someone really wants me to do it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks we'll for joining. Me. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. I really I, I enjoy these talks. Um, you know, love having you on. You have a lot of great things to say, great things to offer. You're an activist in your own community in Rancher Bernardo, um, and an author a father, a business person. Um, you have a wonderful wife. Please say hello to her. Um, we, all, 
We all love Gabby. And um, and thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Been a pleasure, John. Thank you. Okay. Thank you.